You're listening to Robert Kelly's You Know What, Dude? on the Glory Hall Radio Network, gloryholeradio.com. Hey, what's up? This is uh, Robert Kelly, and uh, we're doing another, you know what, dude, podcast uh, here in Ottawa. Uh, I got a special guest, a friend of mine, funny motherfucker, Alonzo Bowden is uh, is doing it with me today. <laughs> uh, I'm here opening for Robert Kelly at you're the, not opening. At we're the co- beautiful Just for Laughs. We're co-headlining. No, I do, I do this show for the full audience. And then you do the show as they walk out to go to a bigger Fun. show. To go see Soundgarden. <laughs> well, here's the deal. We're, I mean, you're doing as much time as me. Yeah, we do the Opening same Opening would be 20 minutes. Yeah. No, we, we do the so same So feel show. free to fucking do 20. <laughs> I have no problem with you fucking. I can't. I got to do. Shutting your face at 20. I got to do 30, 35, and then send them off to the next concert. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird gig. This is just for laughs, but it's the Blues Fest, and they come up here and they put a show up here just to represent a little bit, and this show we're doing is a relationship theme show. And it's me. It's basically two headliners on the show, and I don't know how I got. Usually, you flip flop when that happens. <laughs> yeah, but they already made the tape. Yeah, they made some tape. <laughs> the whole show is based on the fact that somebody made an intro tape that says my name first. But I'm sure there's another tape <laughs> with your name fucking second. Um, I don't give a shit though. You know that shit used to actually. Freak me out back in the day, but now being in New York so long, having to go up after fucking Norton and Quinn and you know Chris Rock stops by and you know all the every single Wayne's brother. Right, it's and like it, uh, showcase shows. You never know who you're going to be following. Yeah, or you, you know, no. It, it, this isn't a, a case of opening. It's just it's yeah. actually funny because this is a spot where you know the guy who goes second, you get more shit. Than I do going first because when I go on there's nothing else going on so everybody's well there. yeah just to explain it to you guys that the the, the there's there's a huge blues festival going on so there's like you know five stages two huge stages so and when you buy a ticket to this blues festival you don't buy individual shows you buy one ticket gets you into any show anytime anywhere so you can bop in and out of that show go over and see the roots go over and see somebody else then you can go to the comedy show so what happens is that our show starts at 7 30 <laughs> usually the main event shows start at 8 so we'll start the show right on time you'll go on do your 30 35 and now when you're bringing me up that's when those main event shows are starting <laughs> like Soundgarden. yeah that's when the guy with the two hot daughters decide oh we got to go see the roots <laughs> uh, well last night wasn't as bad as the first night the first night i didn't know what was, i thought i was just offending people I thought people were walking out offended, and I came off. I was like, you know, I was expecting to get fucking a ration of shit. And they were like, no, they're just fucking leaving to go see Soundgarden. Started at 8. Yeah. So they were just taken off, which it still sucks. It's like, you know, you're not, I'm not captivating enough to make you wait 
15 minutes to see Soundgarden? <laughs> to, to stand in the back of a field and see Soundgarden, uh, I mean. Yeah, you have but, a but third the row seat. Is, but the upside is, after the show, you got to see Soundgarden. Yes. Right? And I got to see Bootsy Collins. So that's a good Who gig. Who the fuck is Bootsy, Bootsy Collins? Bootsy is P-Funk, man. Parliament. This goes back to the 70s. The P-Funk All-Stars. Bootsy was a... Oh, I know I don't know. Because I was a fucking five... Well, yeah. And yeah. I'm not black. Yeah, those two things would get in the way. Yeah, of me knowing who Bootsy yeah. is. Bootsy was a hell of a party, though. It was fun. Bootsy put on a good show. I got to look him up now. Was he... <clears throat> so it's funk? Yeah, it's funk. So I tell you what, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell was fucking amazing. Yeah, well, that looked like, I mean, that was the big show. I think it's probably the biggest show this week. <sighs> he was fucking yeah. great. He was just... Ca- he's captivating. Yeah. I would have left me. I would have left me 15 <laughs> minutes early. I actually wouldn't have showed up to me. I would have just went to Soundgarden and got better seats. Well, we actually could have done that. We were talking about this yesterday. If we didn't show up to do the show, people would just assume it was canceled and keep on going. Like, we wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Nobody would have really noticed. Nobody cares. There was no comedy show. That Even, even um, Simon, our tour manager, said, listen, you guys are just filler. Yeah, we right? are. When, that's bad when the tour manager explains to you, look, you're... You're just filler. You're something to do from 7.30 to 8 while we move people from one stage to another. <laughs> it's true. But you know how you know that, too, is because they're all gone. All the Just for Laughs people showed yeah, up on the first day. nobody here. And they're gone. Then they replaced us with, like, old people. Yeah, they, they with a local them. guy yeah. who, who probably doesn't even know what comedy is. He just kind of looked at us like, okay, these are the two guys I give the passes to. Right. And then I'm going to watch Soundgarden. Yeah, make sure the fat one gets to have his cigarettes <laughs> and the black one gets to go see Bootsy or whatever <laughs> funk band is playing. What? Um, so let's just back up a little bit. I mean, everybody knows who you are, but, you know, <clears throat> I know you from two different... I know you from back in the day. Yeah. Um, and then, I, you know, most people know you from Last Comic Standing. Right. Which, you know, is is such a corporate show. It's a NBC network hit show, especially when you were on it. It was at its peak. Um, and I rem- it's so funny because I remember you as such a not industry guy. <laughs> I remember going, you know. I, I, was, go to, I was angry. I would go to Dublin's. And Dublin's, if you guys don't know, it's a, you know, it's a. Bar on fucking Irish Sunset. Bar on Sunset, and Jay Davis used to run a room there, and it was the, probably the one of the hottest comedy rooms. Yeah, it definitely was in the country. I would say. I mean, yeah, you'd go there any given night, and it was it was sold out all the time. But there was famous people in the crowd all the time. Yeah, and there was certain comics that worked there every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday, there were certain guys. And you were one of them. Yeah. Dane Cook was the other. You were staples. Yeah, you guys would close the show. Mainly you. Uh, or Dane, but mainly you. You'd go up after Dane. I remember going there, and I was all fucked up. I was excited to know anybody, and you know, I'm, I was from New York, and I was Dane's friend, and all that shit. But that, you know, that gets you so far. This yeah. was this was before Dane hit too. This was before Dane. It was exploded. while Dane was hitting, and that was the, that was the weird thing because it almost seemed like like one week you were like, "Where are you going this week?" And I'm like, "I'm going to you know." The, the Kansas City Chuckle Hut and Dane's going to the Improv in Fort Lauderdale or something. And then two weeks later, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to the Improv in Dallas. Dane's going to Madison Square Garden. 
Yeah. It literally, <laughs> it literally seemed like that. Like, holy, what, what just happened? You know. It but, was it, but it weird. was fun. It was. It was. It was. But the the, fun, the crazy part about it is you, you would go up after Dane. And I remember it was just packed crowd, rowdy fucking people, L.A., good-looking cocksuckers, industry. And you go up after Dane would flip the fuck out, climb the walls, jump on the <laughs> furniture, fucking slap people's faces literally in the crowd. You know, crazy. Kill it. And you'd go up with that deep fucking voice <laughs> and you'd sit down. Sit you'd- down on a stool and, and just talk to them. Sometimes I'd have an idea what I was going to talk about. Other times I had no idea. And I would just mine the crowd and look for an idea, something to talk about and make funny. But it, it was great for me. For, for me personally, like we were saying, it's the most creative time of my career. Because right. it was literally – because I knew I'd be there every week. So a lot of people came in and did their act. But, like, I'm not going to do my act every week for the same audience. That's ridiculous. So it right. was always new shit. And the thing with Dane was the, – the other thing that was going on with Dane was all you had all the imitators, right? Everybody wanted to be Dane. Like, they knew he was on to something. So you had a bunch of guys. Steal his essence. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and it, the last thing I'm going to try to do – is out energy Dane Cook. You know what I mean? Because like you said, I mean, literally, when he's climbing on furniture, jumping on tables, and doing everything that he did, yeah. I'm not going to top that. So my, my shit was, it was in a completely different direction. Let's sit down, let's talk, see where it goes. And I didn't have to... I didn't have to be bigger than Dane. Like, I was never under yeah, but this is the that thing. pressure. That, that, uh, fuck all that. Fuck all that <laughs> analytical shit. What you used to do that was amazing to me, as especially coming from New York, and you know, there's no industry in New York. You do a show in right. New York, you can guarantee nothing's going to happen. Okay, it's it's just about the stand up. It's just about being funny and evolving as a comic in New York. But L.A., especially at this show, you never know who the fuck was in the crowd. I mean, you. I mean, directors and Jay Davis used to get some famous people in there, yeah. and you used to fucking trash them. <laughs> you'd go up and take a hot one after Dane. You didn't give a shit. I didn't give a shit. And you'd look right at a fucking movie producer and be like, "Well, fucking put me. You, what do you what, put me in your movie? Yeah. The fuck you. I don't. Yeah. Do, you ain't doing shit for me. Listen, you know why? Because a movie producer at Dublin's was there to get some pussy. He was there. <laughs> To show some young chick his business card right. that he was a producer. And usually he wasn't a producer, right? That card came from Kinko's. <laughs> yeah. You know, and but it yeah, I didn't I never thought of being disguised. I'll tell you the funniest thing though. My funniest experience with industry was um the guy who wrote this movie called Joanna Man, which was a movie about a guy playing in the WNBA, like this guy pretended to be a woman yeah. and play in the W well a guy who created wrote that movie whatever he was at dublin's and i happened to be going off on the clippers one week i'm just cracking on the clippers and all this shit so he wanted to use my stuff and maybe use me in this movie it's when he was writing it so he calls william morris who i was with at the time and i had told my agents about this show you know we got this thing going on at dublin's it's real hot blah 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 they never showed up so when they heard from this director writer then 
the agents from William Morris all show up. But they don't understand the vibe. They think it's like being at the Improv or the Laugh Factory that it's industry night that they're right. going to be they're going to get a table and be treated special and right. blah. You know what they and it was like no man, this is a fucking bar. This is where we work out. So I cracked on William Morris. I said, oh shit, my agent showed up. I must owe him money. You know, and I made a joke about owing him a hundred dollars, and I get a call from my manager the next day. She's like, "There are two days that your name was on every desk at William Morris when they signed you in Montreal, and this morning when they dropped you." Ah, you got fucking <laughs> douched. I got dropped for making fun of him, but I don't give a shit. It was funny. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> William Morris used to be the big mother on the. Where are they? I don't even hear their they're, name anymore. I, you know, they're still there. It was like. Well, you know how it is. You know when you when you get when you're new and you get approached by one of the big agencies, you're like, oh, like, oh shit, I'm gonna be a star, this or that. Yeah. And they use you for whatever they can get, and if they can develop you, they will. But they're not putting a lot of effort into it. They're like taking a shot, and if it doesn't stick, then you just become another picture on the shelf. Well, you here know. you know what else they do. I actually signed with Gersh my first month in New York City. I booked the first three things that they sent me out on. Yeah, so you okay. were hot. Well, I booked a TV show for Lauren Michaels and uh, Viacom or whatever the fuck it was or, uh, as a host on this show, like almost like an MTV spinoff college network. Uh, I booked uh, uh, two movies, and uh, it was, I, was, I was on fire. I get a call from my agent. Uh, she's leaving the business to go be in a punk band. Because <laughs> this bitch had a corner office. Okay? She was in my corner. I have to go meet with the whole agency now to sit down with them to see if somebody else wants to pick me up. Right. We meet with them, and uh, I, I'm in there trying trying to sell myself to these people that... Fuck, fuck, who, fuck you. I shouldn't even, I should have said no. Yeah. I actually in there, and I actually use the word dramatical. I go, <laughs> I want to do comedies, but I want to do dramatical <laughs> stuff too. And I, I heard my managers, he just went, oh. How do they not sign a man who wants to be fuck, dramatical? Fucking dump me. We walk out of the meeting, he goes, dramatical? It's not even a fucking word, right? Well, so, so then they kept a guy Who's this guy? He's never booked a thing. Still to this day, haven't seen him on TV. Not one fucking thing. Guy hasn't booked anything in fucking ten years. They they yeah, douche me. Yeah, but he me. did not say dramatical. That's right, fucking dramatical. God damn it! I My suck. thing was they got me when I um when I did New Faces in Montreal. This was what ninety seven. Yeah, and I was the guy that year, and this is when they still made deals in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So I, I do my set, and everybody's going crazy, and and I got the full court press from William Morris. Like for the rest of the week, there was always someone from William Morris nearby. Like if I was at the bar and I wanted a drink, William Morris was there to buy it. If I was walking out of the hotel in the morning to go to breakfast, William Morris happened to be there. You know? Wow. And um, so I came back to L.A. I signed with them. They got me a deal. It was good money, too. It was, I mean, it was great. You and got a deal? I got a deal. With who? And with Greenblatt Janelari. All right, so stop right now. So a lot of these people don't understand this. That, you know, comics, not really now, but back in the day, there was a time, ninety, late 90s, early 2000s, where if you did one of these festivals, especially in Montreal, all the industry would go. Everybody would go. And comics would get a deal. And when they say a deal... They would a network, a holding deal, 
or a development deal. Holding deal means we want you for a year and because we don't we don't want you going anywhere else. We don't want you. And a right. development deal means we're going to try to develop a show around you. And usually it's a truckload of money, a good chunk of change. Had to be in the six figures. Yeah. Okay. And nothing happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly how it played. I mean, it blew my mind. Like, I did my set, and my manager came up to me afterwards. Because at that time, when they did New Faces, the audience was downstairs, and they had a balcony upstairs, and that's when the industry was. And he said, everybody was talking about you. He's like, you're about to make a ton of fucking money. And he said, the key word is ton of fucking. Right. You know? So I come back to L.A., and, and it's overwhelming, right? Because I'd only been doing comedy like four years. I'm on New Faces. So these people are coming at you. I'm from CBS. I'm from NBC. I'm from here. I'm from, and I'm like, fuck, I, you know. So, um, so I get the deal with Greenblatt Janelari, and, yeah, the money was good. And Titus had been the hot guy the year before. Right. So Titus came up to me. He said, look, this is going to be your learning deal. No, his was like three or four years before. This was a year he his actual TV show was coming out. Who I don't get, by the way. And I've never fucking... This guy is a multimillionaire, probably. Yeah, he is. And he's had fucking deal after deal. He looks like Max Hedrum. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get, I don't... Not that he's not funny or he's funny. I'm not saying... I've never really seen his stand-up. But this guy is a multimillionaire... And I've never seen him. He's not a household name. No, but he's uh, but he works his ass off. And he came up to me and he said, "Look, this is going to be a learning deal. You're going to learn how all of how Hollywood works, and they're going to let you keep the money." He said, "Then the next deal is when you're you're going to come up with a TV show." Right. Because when I got it, I didn't know that I was supposed to come up with the idea for the TV show. That's how fucking naive I was. <laughs> You know, I would you think they have shelves and they just go up no, and say, I figured tall they put black you, guy, they put bald. you with somebody who knows how and to they write just a fucking TV pull it out? show and yeah, you give this one. No, you talk it. while I talk. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I do. Well, you, <laughs> I'm fucking, telling you my story. I'm telling my fucking story. <laughs> I'm trying to enhance your story, shit dick. <laughs> this isn't fucking NPR. This is Bob Kelly's podcast in a hotel room. I'm <laughs> so anyway, so um, I got the deal. I got the money. It no show came out of it. Right. And a year later, you know, they always say they're going to renew your deal. And when they didn't renew my deal, it went from I would walk into William Morris and it'd be an assistant waiting for me, you know, water, coffee, whatever, walk up to the office. They didn't renew that deal. I could go to William Morris. I, I might as well be a guy who's never done comedy before. It's like, yeah, have a seat in the lobby. We'll get to you. You know, it was just you're, you're nobody. You're not bringing in a check to the agency right. you're absolutely nobody so uh so I, I you what happens is you lose that you're impressed with the industry when you start and then once you start working with it and dealing with the people and seeing how it goes you become less and less impressed with titles and who people are and it becomes more about what they do well first of all let's just get this out i've never had a deal <laughs> <laughs> i've never I've never done a. I've done all the festivals right when industry stopped going. <laughs> I did Aspen the second to last year it ended. I did Vegas. You know, I've done them all. Montreal. You know, I do it. I've done it a lot in the last few years. N nothing. There's no more deals handed out. I've never gotten a deal. I did a showcase once at the Laugh Factory, and I got an agent, Gardner something. 
Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's always a good one. What's the name of your agent? Uh, Gardner, uh, some shit. I I don't even know. Again, my <laughs> agent, my agent there actually. I booked uh, a pilot first month. Booked a pilot for Stu Siegel down in San Diego. Lee. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay, I've heard Stu Siegel. Fucking, uh, he he calls me uh, the day the first day of shooting. Yeah, I'm leaving. He left too. <laughs> he went to be a manager. So yeah, now I'm right. stuck that's with this other company, and I fucking I they, they wound up. I think I said dramatical again, and they dumped <laughs> me. But the the so you get this deal, but then you go and you're in this funk. You get into this fuck the business, man. Fuck the industry. It, I'm doing what I'm doing, and I don't I don't care if you like me or not. Well, you, yeah, because it was about because it was about stand up and it was about creativity because. The agency, I mean, you joke about, you know, tall, black guy, whatever, but that that is how the agency, uh, how the industry works, right? The industry is, everybody fits into a category, right? So so you're like, you're the hot blonde, or you're the, the quirky, nerdy guy. I'm glad you didn't actually the, say what I was. I was you know, waiting for a no, nice no, I mean, fact joke. So, so with me, it was like, okay, you're the big black guy, right? Yeah. But I'm not the stereotypical big black guy. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not from the hood. Right. So they don't know what to do with me. They're like, well, we don't know what fucking category to put this guy in because he looks like this, right. but he talks like that. Right. So I couldn't get I couldn't get shit. I couldn't get anything. You know, um, it wasn't happening. So I was like, look, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I do. And and I was beyond. I was beyond the new the new stage. In other words, it wasn't like I was a new face that somebody was going to discover. So. The, you know, and, and it was funny the other day when you said I was bitter because I I don't think I was bitter as much as I was just like fuck it I'm gonna do what I do I can't be what they want me to be. I when I you say know? that though, the, the, I think the part when a comic really becomes a comic, when you really get this business is when you realize it doesn't matter. Right. None of the shit matters. You, you stop caring. You stop caring. You don't give a fuck. It's not like you're a dick. You don't treat people like shit. You don't fuck you or fuck the industry or you, you know, you're angry or bitter and you hate people, which that phase does happen. But when you phase out of that and you realize it doesn't matter. It, I, it's the work. It's what I do. It's what I want to do. It's the little goals I set for myself, whether it's doing an hour on Showtime or being a working comedian on the road or getting a TV deal, you know, getting a show right. on the air. You realize it doesn't matter. You, you don't you don't have to give a fuck. This guy that you meet now, who's the top guy, will be out of the business in six months fucking in a punk band you know what I mean <laughs> all that shit doesn't matter so right. that was at the stage where I met you but it was phenomenal to me because to be honest in my head I'm saying here's this fucking dude he doesn't give a fuck and I admired that because I cared I cared when I went to Dublin's I cared and I didn't want to care and yeah. I would see you go up and do this not give a fuck shit and you know I would go up and care and I look I killed but sometimes I had okay shows. I never bombed at Dublin's, but so I walked off there feeling guilty sometimes. Like, I cared. I wanted to make but the you funny, laugh. But th the funny thing about that was you're a New York comic, and New York comics really are, like, the most fearless The mo as far as you'll go on stage and do whatever. Like, L.A. comics want the TV show, so the act is the audition. Right. And New York comics, and the thing I love about comedy in New York, you really don't give a shit what they talk about as long as it's funny. 
Right. There's no, you know, there's no set parameters. There's right. No, this is going to offend people. Right. Or don't say this. And you and you had that New York edge, and you didn't like L.A. Uh, That's no. what I remember. You just didn't like L.A. You didn't like the scene. No, you, you just—I was just getting sick. You of just it. wanted to do comedy. You just like, like where, where do we? Your thing was kind of like, okay, where do you do stand up without the bullshit? And it right? didn't exist. And it, no, it doesn't exist in L.A. You, well, I got you sick know. of introducing myself to the same person five times. <laughs> you'd sit, you'd have a conversation about being molested with this guy and bond with him, and then he'd see you the next time he'd ignore you, and then he'd look at you. Do we know? Do I know you? Yeah, you know me, motherfucker. If I know you, you know me. Yeah. That's my rule. Yeah, because I don't. I forget everybody. I have a lousy memory. But that's why. That's but that's why I wasn't impressed by the industry at Dublin's because what what I've learned is, the people who are actually doing shit don't have time to hang out at Dublin's. Nope, they're too busy doing nope. shit. They don't. Fuck, you're absolutely right. But the the other thing that was <clears throat> was crazy for me was then cut to you know I went and did Torgasm and all of a sudden I look. You know, I, I look at you, and you're on uh, you're on fucking national TV. When you got when I saw your audition for Last Comic Standing, I was like, "Oh boy, he's gonna fucking snap on these people." Because <laughs> I remember you had Dumblets, and I'm like, "Oh shit, he's gonna fucking say." And then you got picked. Yeah. And then you made it again, and then you made it again, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my fucking, this cocksucker is in the show. This guy could. <laughs> Alonzo might fucking win this thing. He's in the fucking... I forget what you came in. Did you... Did you I you? came in out of L.A. And, um, what place did you came in? Come I in. was runner-up. You were runner-up. On season two. Season it came two. Down to, it came down to me, Heffron, and Goldman. And, you know, it's eliminated 3-2-1. So Goldman went first, then me, then Hef. And the, the, I'll tell you, the weirdest thing is being second on a reality show. In a way, it's the worst fucking thing because... The three of us are standing on stage, right? So first they say, you know, third place, Gary Goleman, right? right? And everybody just fucking cheers and goes crazy. And he thanks everybody and walks off. And then it's like, and the winner is, Ugh. you know, because they can't say second place because you'll know who the winner is. So they go third place. Then they announce the winner, who's Heffron. <laughs> and then I'm just kind of fucking standing there. Oh. And Jay just, Jay Jesus. Moore just shakes your hand. And like, all right, beat it. Come on. We got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, it's fucking awkward. You don't awkward. even get a fucking goodbye. No, you don't get a goodbye. You just kind of ease off into the scenery. Oh, shit. <laughs> that fucking blows, man. Oh, it was a fucking hilarious moment. So, but, uh, so, so you get on the show, and I, I mean, I couldn't fucking believe that well, you Well, what it was, I mean, and a lot of it was material created at Dublin's. But I always did stand up and Dublin's was like my free, like, like I say, that was just a place like if you're a musician, that's the jam session, right? right? You do the concert on the weekends and then you go to the jam session. Like, you know, right. you, like those musicians in Vegas, that got to play fucking 70s hits in the lounge right. to make a living. But, yeah. you know, there's somewhere they go where they just play music. Yeah. Like the cellar so, is in New York. You know, right. during the week, you're fucking off and you're doing your shit. Uh, trying your new jokes, and then on the weekends or when you go away, you, you, you're doing your, your set. Right. So when I got on TV, I'm doing my set, and everybody who knew me from Dublin's was like, ah, I didn't know you could do that. You do that kind of comedy, too? Like, to them, it was such a completely, like you, they, they saw it as such a completely different thing than what I did. People didn't realize I could do it, but... Uh, 
Yeah, but now yeah, I knew I knew how to work it. And and the other thing was I had been in a lot of comedy contests. Like you know, I I did I did like Star Search. I did a thing called the Next Big Star that was on cable. I won that. And when you do contests, you learn how to break up your act into literally into one minute chunks. Right. So when they say you know this like your initial audition was like ninety seconds. Right. But I knew how to get you know five jokes in 90 seconds you right. know what i mean and then when you do the the four minute thing i knew how to do four minutes because all it is is doing highlight reels of your act right just putting the best jokes together in a short period of time mm. and i was lucky that i had done that enough that when i got on the uh, big stage i knew how to do it now did they have writers did they help you at all That's no a, i always no, thought you, that well some comics had people help them and it was weird because i it never even occurred to me to do that Really, you know, but some comics were like, "Yeah, so and so helped me write this. So and so, so helped after, me with that." So, so as you get further in the competition, there was help for certain guys, like to you know look because you can, you have to yeah, do it standards wasn't, and it practice was up to and you. all that shit. Yeah, in other words, it would be like if I wanted to run some jokes by you and another friend, I could do that. I mean, the show never the, the show never provided. There wasn't anything official, but some people had friends help them. You know, other than when, but I did it also when we had to live together, when we were like isolated for how, three how, weeks. What was the worst part about being on that show? Uh, fighting the producers. What do you mean fighting the producers? The producers wanted it to be a reality show where we'd argue and fight and, and this and that. Like Kathleen put it best when she's, we got into an argument with him and she said, look, this show isn't fuck, fight or walk. You know what right. I mean? This isn't the real world. We're, we're comics. We, we want to do comedy. Right. But they wanted fights and arguments and shit like that so they would literally manipulate the truth and and do shit to try to make you fight and and it worked with some people some people love that drama obviously ant loves that kind of drama and um ant oh ant the comic ant the comic yeah now he's got he's got his hair now yeah yeah, Fuck and uh, I love I love Hollywood. You can literally <laughs> go from being bald to having beautiful hair, and nobody, nobody says anything. Nobody mentions a word. Nobody mentions a fucking word. I, I give you an example, and this was the funniest example because we're friends and we respect each other. Me and Kathleen Madigan, right? Love so her. They come up to me and they say, "Do you think you can win the show?" Right? And I'm like, well, fuck, "Of course, I think I." You know, like. Why would I be here if I didn't think I could win? Yeah, I think I could win. And then they literally go to Kathleen and say, you know, Alonzo just said he's a much better comic than you. They said that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, and what she said? <laughs> she laughed because she, she knew it too. You right. know what I mean? She knew how, they, how they're going to twist up. But it's like, you know, you're really not going to get a fight going between me and Kathleen Madigan. Right. Well, <laughs> Kathleen would fight with somebody. It looks like a Oh, she would, but, yeah, you Kathleen's know, not a- like that. But that. So that was the toughest part of the show, dealing with them trying to stir up shit. Right. You know, and, um, and the most nerve-wracking part of the show is waiting to perform. Because you don't get to see the other guy. You don't get to see whoever you're performing against. Well, that's actually better. It's better, but it's all. But what happens is you come on stage as they're going off. So all you hear is their final applause. Right. You know, and right. you're, you're like, oh, shit, he killed. They love him. Now, you get paid to be on that show like a weekly stipend or yeah. SAG bullshit. Right. But do you get paid for being a runner-up? No. You get nothing. You get nothing. But you know who got screwed on that? 
um, Heffron did for winning season two. Why? Because when he won, it paid 50000 bucks, but they deducted the money they paid you week to week. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we were getting, I don't know what it was. It was like a grand or 1200 whatever, you know, oh, wait, yeah. after minimum was for a week. So they deducted the six weeks pay from his 50000 <laughs> that he won. What cunts. <laughs> And that show made millions. Millions. It was millions. the most it was the most profitable show on NBC for the simple fact when you have ten comics, you know what you have? You have ten performers and ten writers for no money. Oh my comics god. Comics write all their own material. So they there was only one writer on staff That's it. who helped Jay Moore, who helped the host write jokes. He's the only writer that they had to pay. And Jay was a uh, producer too. Yeah, Jay was producer and creator. Did so. now now him and Gullman got into it on the show, right? Yeah, him and Gullman got into it. That was on season 3. That was the season I won, the best of the best. Oh, the season 3 was it. Season 3 was when I won. You won best of the best. Yeah, what they did was they had the 10 comics from season one go up against the 10 comics from season two. And Rich Voss was on that, right? Ross was on that, and Mardell um, was on that, and Ralphie May. You know, they brought back all the, the guys from the first season, brought us in from the second season. And it was kind of a... They said it was a team thing, but it was more like a round robin. But the, the, the team that had the winner each week right. got a bonus. Right. So the fact that we beat them like four out of five weeks, like the winner would be from our team, right. that was more bonus money. So it actually paid pretty good. But yeah, you know, Jay Moore, Jay Moore's to fuck with all of us. Jay, to me, <laughs> Jay was like, like he's in the fraternity and we're pledges. Well, I mean, so, he is a veteran comic and yeah. he's from New York. Yeah. And New York comics, but we bust balls. Right. So, so it would always be. But the thing with Jay was if you gave it back to him, He'd back off. You know, it was literally like the bully thing. You know, like, right. I'm going to fuck with you. If you fuck with me, then we're cool. But if not, I'm going to keep doing it. So he right. kept fucking with Gary, kept fucking with Gary. And, and they were friends. But there were times when it would, you could see it would get on Gary's nerves. Right, yeah. <laughs> so this one particular time, Jay was fucking around. He, was, he was, was making fun of Dane. And, you know, Gary and Dane are good friends. Yeah, yeah. So that's pissing Gary off. And then it was like one of those, I don't know if he bumped into him or he bumped into Todd who bumped into him. It's just, you know, one of those things right. where there was physical contact. Oh, and, shit. And, it was, and it's the funny thing about Gary Gullman is, for anybody listening who's never met him, Gary's a big guy. 6'6". Six, six, six. He's 6'6". He's all muscle. He works out all the time. Yeah. He's got like, what, 8% body fat or yeah, some shit like that. But people don't think about that because his personality is, is Nicest not... Nicest guy ever. Yeah. But when you make him mad, like, he grabbed Jay, and, and what happened was he slammed Jay into this set wall, <laughs> which is a fake wall, right? right? So the whole wall moved right. when he hit it, and, and everybody, oh, shit, like, Gary just threw Jay through a wall, and it was like, it wasn't, it's a prop it wasn't wall. <laughs> that big, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal, but right. it sounded like that big a deal. Right. But, but it was actually funny. Whenever you see a man lift another man off the, off the ground. It's yeah. fucking funny. Yeah, me, I, me, and, me and Gary have gotten in it a couple times. Yeah. We, we've been yeah. on the road. We've fought a couple. Never got physical. Yeah. I love him to death. One of my closest friends. And But we've gotten into it a couple times. And the whole time you're thinking, okay, I got to take a knee out. I got to take an eyeball. I'm going to have yeah, to go the extra mile with this. He's a big this. guy. He's a yeah. big guy. I'm going to have to bite a nose off. I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to let him know that I'm willing 
to do, you know, do something really bad to get out of this. Yeah, that wasn't the worst experience of the show, though. The worst experience was in season two when Ant and Corey got into it on the bus. We, we used to have to ride this. Sh- they thought it was funny. We rode a short school bus Ugh. around place to place. And Ant and Corey got into this big fight. And basically it was black versus gay, you know, <laughs> and uh, and NBC. Like they shut down production, which and is they, still going on today. By the way, yeah, we're still, you know, <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> the uh, they shut down Gay production. <laughs> they brought in the sensitivity counselors. Oh God! They brought in investigators to see if they that if anyone thought that um, Corey was actually a physical threat to Ant or anybody Are else. You oh no! Me? It was a whole fucking thing. They were, we were there were lawyers. We had to sign documents, and again. You're dealing with 10 comics, right? So, I mean, and me and Gary are friends. So the minute you start with the black versus gay thing, me and Gary started talking about, you know, well, we don't hate the the gays as much as the blacks hate the Jews. And then me and Gary get into it, you know. I mean, we're just fucking with each other. Right. But you got a straight-laced lawyer from NBC (laughs) who's freaking out because me and Gary are saying everything that you legally can never say. (laughs) Right. right? And and the the lawyer's like, I I don't know. (laughs) Get somebody in here. You know, it was fucking hilarious to us. You know, yeah, comics are the most dysfunctional assholes on the planet. We're the black sheep of the fucking industry. Well, tell them, tell them your nickname that when we first met. Oh God! And this, I knew you for what two Uh, days. Okay, here here you go. (laughs) Dane Cook, when he first before he popped, this is he. He actually. You know, people say that, you know, how did Dane become famous, blah, blah, blah. One thing Dane did do is before he was famous, he would um, he would he would create his own shit. Yeah. He'd write shit and, and f- spend his own money and film stuff. Um, and, you know, he was popular by that. He put a lot of content out for his fans. And uh, Patrice actually had the best saying. He said, Dane Cook's the first guy to ever win an Oscar for nothing. <laughs> he was big without people knowing who he was. He had, you know, thousands of fans. But one of the things he wrote was eight guys. Yeah. It was a short film. And he hired all of us. Not hired. <laughs> asked us to all do it for free. And uh, it was about eight guys that live in a studio apartment. And they have to leave one by one they agree that look the, there's only room for one person and they come up with this <laughs> stupid way to do it if you haven't seen it it's on the internet it's 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 whatever it's a little wacky it's yeah. stupid but well me and you had to improv right we had to improv we had to smash each other a little bit right. we had to go back and forth <laughs> and uh you said something to me and then what I say to you? I, call, I I don't know if what I called you Puerto call, Rican or something. You call like me that. fat yeah. Puerto Rican, yeah. I think. And you said, "Shut up, brownie." And I yeah, was like, "Did you just call me brownie?" Yeah, like. <laughs> but they kept it. I think they kept it in the movie. But that your response was like, they, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I wasn't even mad. I was like, "Wait a minute! I've heard. I think I've heard pretty much every black insult. Uh, this is new, brownie." <laughs> yeah, that was the. Uh, Creative way of saying the n word without getting uh, punched in the it face. It was fucking hilarious. Brownie. Brownie. That's all. Because I was just looking at you, and you're huge, and you're brown, and I and I'm fat. So I just put those two together. Uh, I was like, yeah, brownie. Great. Yeah, that was actually. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. <laughs> that stupid movie that we're in. Um, but then you. So you do this last comic standing. You go back for the second year. You win it. And you know, dude, you're fucking, you're rocking and rolling, man. Yeah, it was uh, that was that was great. The the aftermath, it was it was literally like you said, it was like rock stars. I mean, we went on tour. Me, Gary, and Jay London went on tour, and we sold out 
like 19 shows in a row. And the only reason we didn't hit 20 because they added a second show the day we got to town. Like there wasn't t- enough time to sell the tickets right. for that. And, and, you know, it's it's you ride that wave and it's great. And you just want to figure out how to keep it going. Right. You know? and, that, and that's what happens in this business. So, so after six months of touring together, we each went our own separate ways. And then they brought me back as a judge on Last Comic, which kept me on TV for another year, which was great. Another summer. And, um, and then you start grinding on your own. So but since- how, was that, how was that judging? I mean, you know, the one thing that when they brought the comics in to judge. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, look, the show to me, I don't believe in competitions. I don't believe you can say one's comics better than the other because I believe comedy's personal. I believe what this guy or this group of people think is funny, you might not think is funny. Uh, you might think this guy's funny. So it's how can you say that these two people, these three people can judge? America can judge uh, better because, it, you know, your fans get to call in if you have them. But, excuse me, it's my wife calling. God damn it. Even when she's not here, even when I do the podcast <laughs> at my house, she's yapping. She, I'm, I'm in a different country. She still fucking gets on the podcast somehow. Um, but, and then when they brought the comics in, it was a little weird to me because, like, how are these guys going to judge some of them your friends? Oh, it was, it was weird. See, here's the thing. There, there is no absolute judge. You know, in other words, on on any given day, somebody's going to be funnier than somebody else. It, and it, a lot of times, it just comes down to what material you chose to do. But as a judge, I'll tell you, this is what the way it kind of went down. This is the broad, broad uh, strokes of it. You had ten percent of the people that were absolute train wrecks. These were people who had never done comedy, right. who thought they could walk in and do a show. And we had anything from you know, overweight porn stars to the to the office clown to right. you know a guy shows up in big red shoes and can't juggle. I mean, it was literally the ones that producers train let wrecks. in, right? And then eighty percent of the people were comics who I'd say have been doing it from two to two to five or six years. Right? They were good, but they were interchangeable. None right. of them stood out. They they were funny. A ton of them did the same topics, you know, the the usual stuff. Travel, um, you know, I'm from the hood, I'm poor, right. I'm, I'm fat, I'm right. this, I'm that, you whatever. Just, you just and, described my whole act. You know, but <laughs> it was, you know, they're, they're just serviceable. They're just working comics, right? right? So so that's so that's 90% of the people. Yeah. Then you had 5% of the people that were fucking superstars. Just came out, knocked your socks off, easy to pick. Then the toughest 5% were the guys and the women who are good, they're great comics, you may know them, you may not know them, but how do you pick one over the other? Those That was always the toughest, those last few spots, because it could have been any one of them, you know what I mean? And yeah. you, you had to figure out why would you pick this guy instead of that guy or whatever. So that, so that part of the judging was hard. Did you have to not pick there, somebody that you liked and knew? Uh, yeah, there were times when I didn't get the picks. Like, there were three of us, right? There's me, Ant, and Kathleen. And then Peter Engel, the exec producer, he he had a heavyweight vote. And then NBC really didn't have a big... Like, NBC didn't have a lot vested in it. 
you know they could make a decision mm-hmm. but it what but they didn't really care like that was the the mis, the misimpression that a lot of people have if misimpression now I'm making up words um, the what is the word you know the, I, the mistaken impression no dude misimpressions have. is fine All right, people we'll who listen to this podcast we know <laughs> except for there's one guy just let me just shout this out to the guy cuz he wrote me a big email he's a physicist or some fucking right. mathematician you know not everybody that listens to your podcast is stupid All right, I have I didn't, <laughs> there's one guy who's intelligent. He's doing math problems right now listening to this. So shout out to you. But everybody else knows what you meant. Yeah. So they think NBC rigs the show. And NBC could give a shit who wins the show. They've never done anything with a winner of the show. They've right. never like gone on and created a sitcom or, or you host, you know, who wants to be a millionaire or some shit like that. Like they don't care okay, who wins. Let me they stop just you. Right. Let me show. just stop you before you go any further. The first season... In the you know in the second season, when they had the two judges, the guys, right. uh, I forget their name, Ma- Bob and Ross, Bob and Ross, who the Tonight were Show, fucking great guys, yeah, really cool guys. For some reason, they think I hated them. Seriously, they because mm-hmm. I did it the first year or the second yeah. year, and they, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, I thought it was all bullshit, whatever. I didn't, you know, uh, I was, you know, being a comic, joking around, but fucking kind of bashing. They think I hate them, but I don't. They're fucking good guys, but. In reality, you know, it's a show. You have yeah. to. It's produced. If there's producers around, there's being producing being done. Right. And they had to pick certain people that fit the mold to a show. Like you said, they had you in the house trying to cause controversy. Right. There was manipulation going on because well, you can't just watch. You can't watch a legitimate show and just pick. Hey, these are the funniest guys, legitimately, but they're all the same people. Right. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. So the manipulation was the 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 diversity thing for one thing. Like you're not going to have all males. You're not going to have all white guys. That's or why all they said it's fixed because it's not the funniest people per se. It's the funniest people also. A cast. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but you you know that going in because it is a TV show. But see, but he, but here's the thing, and and a lot of yeah, people, but most comics didn't know. A that. lot of people, most but, comics, no, stop, stop. Most comics didn't know that, Alonzo. Most comics thought you go no. in and you're funny, and if you kill it, if you if you're funny, then you'll get picked. You know who you know who knew it, the veterans, and that's why I said I said the thing about the two to six years because the guys who've been in the in the business like you. Dude, let me okay, let me you've just been in the business eight, okay. ten, years. Let me just tell you really years. quick, the story real quick. I'm going to tell you, because you, you, Ben Bailey, yeah. who was around for years, auditioned for last, they called him, producers, Barry Katz, you got to come down and audition. He went in, he walked on stage, he said one thing, and they said no, and he, they said thank you, goodbye. I had to talk him. <laughs> into not going back into the club and fucking flipping tables. Yeah. He was so mad. This is Ben Bailey from mm-hmm. Cash Cat. Yeah, I know Ben. Two Emmys. I know Ben. He was so fucking angry. They didn't even let him do his jokes. They physically looked at him and said no. They heard his voice, said no. He was going to go back. He was outside going, I'm going to, f- what the fuck? You don't fuck it. They called me. I'm going the f-. I was like, dude, don't go back in there. Let it go. It's just a show. He was going to go in and fucking get arrested. So- I can't, obviously I can't say something about that because I, 
I know Ben, and there were times when shit like that happened. Right. But but what I was going to say was the thing about the show. Yeah, we knew it was cast when me and when we were going to the finals. Okay, right. when there were six of us going to the finals, and me and Corey Holcomb were two of the six. Right, the two black comics on the show. Right. We're like, okay, listen, <laughs> <laughs> one of us is going to the finals. Somebody's. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not gonna be two there's blacks. not going to be two brothers going to the finals on NBC. One of us is going to the finals. So whichever one, we like, whichever one of us goes on, we, you know, we're okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, you know how the game works, there, right? There is. But the yeah. other side of the coin was, at the time, and even now, nobody else is putting comics in prime time. Exactly. I mean, the worst rated episode of, of Last Comic Standing is bigger than, you know, a Tonight Show or a uh, Comedy Central special as far as sheer numbers of viewers. When we peaked on season two, right. when we got to the finals, we were getting 10 to 12 million viewers a week. Right. You just, you know, I mean, that's Look, why you, you you're it's right. not perfect, but, but no. where else are you going to get a shot as a stand-up comic? It did for more for comedy. Let me tell you what that show did. And people that bitch about it, and I was one of them at the beginning. I bitched about it. That show did more for stand-up comedy. It, it resurged comedy again. It gave another little mini comedy boom where people went to the clubs yeah, the- and started seeing live comedy again. And that's where we make our money. So it actually it did do way more for comedy. Yeah, there was a lot of egos, cru- egos that were crushed or hurt. Or, you know, some things that people don't understand or whatever, or the funniest, the funniest guys, yeah. quote unquote, didn't make it. But the guys that did make it were funny people. You know, the people yeah. that did make it were funny comics. But you got to look back at that fan who won the first year. Right. But that, that, that's what people have problems with is they go, how the fuck? You know, but you know how he won? Middle America. The middle America felt sorry for him. He was the underdog. You know, Ralphie, Voss, Mordal, they fucked with him the whole time. Right. You know, obviously Ralphie's a better comic than that fan. Voss <laughs> a better comic than that fan. But, Keep going. Um, but America, yeah, but America loves an underdog. My dead grandfather so, <laughs> is a better comic than yeah, fucking that fan. But, but when America sees this Vietnamese oh. kid doing the same jokes every right. week. Right. And, you know, and they're like, oh, they're picking on him. He's trying so hard. Blah, blah, blah. It was like, you know, he, America decided that kid was going to win. Right. So. That's what, But I understand it. I get it. That's where the competition, it's like, ah, uh, fuck. It's but not perfect. If you weigh out what um, Last Comic Sandy did, four comics, it did way more good for stand-up comedy in general than it did bad. Yeah. Um, yes, that fan won. Ugh. Yeah, purists but, and perfectionists were upset, but right, and and I had a better experience than most. So right. so you know, I'm I'm definitely well. It took you out of Dublin to know, put you in the fucking spotlight. Yeah, yeah it moved me up. You right. know, it moved me up the food chain. So I I got no problem with them. It was a good run. It was a great experience. I did a lot with the show. Um, you know, even like when we were judges, they edited us out. And the final season, the judges were like, it was more like, you know, I don't know, Dancing with the Stars, where the judges right. were actually stars of the show and important to it. Right. You know, when we did it, 95% of what we said, they edited it out. Well, this is the thing that I went through. I was on Torgasm. You were on that. We both had these hits, these little things that popped us into the limelight. And then the one thing, you know, we got a few more minutes left on the thing, but I want to get into a little bit is the, you know, the after, the, the down, when you go up the roller coaster, 
you know, people don't understand, especially the public, uh, you know, the average asshole, there's always a down. Yeah. It's for me. For me, I see it more like plateaus. Yeah. So you climb up and then you 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 sort of flatline. Right. And, and it's funny how people treat you like even your money. It's like, so, you know, because they cut your money. Right. Because you're not on TV every week. So you're not packing a place like right. you did. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, the budget's kind of tight and this. And I love when they say we don't have any money. It's like, oh, no, you got money. You're just not giving it to me. Right. You know, you, you still economy. have money. <laughs> yeah. It was the economy, you know, yeah. oh, the recession. And but but this year I did my uh, Showtime special. Right. Which was great for me because that introduced a completely different comic than the guy on Last Comic Standing. Right. Because the Showtime special is a lot more political, a lot more opinionated, topical, whereas Last Comic Standing was just being funny. You know, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, was t- it, was, it was NBC it fucking was TV. funny. Yeah, it was TV funny. And this was more, this is where I'm at and what I'm doing now. So so hopefully this starts to climb but, to the next plateau. But the thing is, is that, you know, when you come down off of that, it's like, you know, you, you're up there. You, like you said, you're having people bring you water and you're having all this stuff and you, the money and the shows. And, and, and then all of a sudden you come back down and the next guy's up at the top. Yeah. Or the other people. And you're at that plateau and... You know, now all of a sudden, you know, you're doing shows, and this is why I stress to like fans. You know, the fans are what make you. I I love all the fans. I love everybody that comes Absolutely. to my show. I'll say hi to everybody. I'll take pictures. I'll do whatever you want. But if 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 you're you know the the fans that are fans from a distance that don't come to the show, oh I didn't, uh, I couldn't. It's like you guys, the fans are the important people. You know, if you guys come to the shows and you fill that room and you bring people and you fucking that you know all you know that's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So absolutely. It, when you come down off of that, it's like all those fans that you had that were showing up. All of a sudden, it's you know they kind of go away a little bit because if you're not in oh, that limelight every week, it's they you know out of sight, out of mind yeah. type shit. And it's it's a little hard. It was a little hard for me to deal with. It was a little hard for me to deal with to be that like successful. You know, people. You know, being nice, you know, I started getting demanding a little bit. And, and then when it went away, it was a little weird. It was a little humbling. It was good for me, though. I I'm glad I went through it. For me, for me, the tough part is I'm not a big self-promotion guy. As you know, in this business, a lot of guys can sit around all day, tell you how great a comic they are, what they do. They market themselves, this right. or that. Have a podcast. That, that's, not, that, <laughs> that's not my thing. Right. So... That, so TV did that for me, right. like you know, and it brought the fans. Like I'm, that's that's what I loved about it. I didn't have to do that chase. You know, like like I was joking with you, like you got like thirty five thousand right. Twitter followers. I got like two thousand. Well, know, I'll, I'll explain that to you too. Is that I'm lucky enough to be a part to be one of the guys on a really fucking O&A. Yeah. I'm it, lucky enough to be around Norton and, and Opie and Anthony and be on that show a lot in the last, you know, five years. So those fans are fucking loyal, diehard, amazing great, people. And, you know, this 5% of them have. suck and I hope they die because they don't <laughs> like me. They just love Jim and love fucking with me. But, not you know, 95% of them are just fucking great 
fans that support you. So I'm lucky to have that. That that radio show has done so much for me. Yeah, but I mean anything like that that appeals direct to the fans and Dane is I, great Dane, for promotion. Those, those fucking yeah. tours. I did a million right. people. I did an arena tour. That will help with your Twitter fucking numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but it but it's uh yeah the fans you you love them. I love working live, I, and and it's people are like. Wow, you're great. I think for me, the great thing is, especially like this was with club owners, and club owners will tell you they get a lot of TV acts in, and they saw them do seven minutes on TV, and that's all they have. That's it. So the gratifying thing was when you go to a club that you've never been to before, and they're like, wow, you're really good. Like, and yeah. they'd, be, they'd be almost apologetic. Like, listen, I don't mean any disrespect, but you know, yeah. we've seen it before, and we, we didn't know what to expect. Well, and you can't like, fill the room. If you can fill the room five shows, yeah. you'd get the money. But here's the thing is, we're going in and okay Thursday night's not full because I'm not on TV every week or whatever but I'm fucking killing it yeah I never when I walk out of a club I always that was one of the best shows we've ever seen here right people that know me or don't know me and you know we're we're fucking comics we're going in for an hour and we're killing it exactly you're getting a fucking show which almost I think is like you have to suck as a comic to become famous you know, some of these yeah. guys just stink. Well, like I got one buddy and he says, you know, these are, he's like, man, these audiences, they're so shocked because they haven't seen a real comedy show. Right. Because what I say now, we have the one bit wonder. I right. mean, that's what YouTube created. YouTube created the one bit wonder yep. in comedy, just like there was the one hit wonders on radio in the 70s and 80s. Yep. There's the one bit wonder now. And people go to the whole 45 minute show. Ugh to see that bit that five minutes and then they go home and they're happy and then they come see us do it and they're like oh shit you were funny for the whole 45 minutes like yeah. we, we didn't know that yeah is that what, what? I've, yeah i've had people go i laughed the whole, i had some people go i laughed the whole time yeah that's what you're supposed to do yeah exactly and they're like no well, this, this, really this, this is another thing i want to touch on real quick is that i mean like I talk a lot on my podcast all the time about sex and, and deviant shit. You know, I'm a, I'm a fucking food addict, alcoholic, drug addict, sex addict. I, I'm a fucking mess with all this shit, and I've, I've used it in my whole life to actually, you know, help. That's my what I deal with, you know. Um, but, you know, you're not really a sex... You're not like... A deviant. I never heard you. I never I, hear you talk about sex. I don't hear you uh, occasionally about a chick. You know, whatever. Nice, nice. You know, she's hot or whatever. But you're not. You're not this guy who you know. I'll fucking. I'd love to stick it in her asshole. Or I don't hear you talking about. Like I can't even imagine you jerking no, off you or know watching what it porn. Is? You know what it is. I'm. I did all that. I'm retired. I mean, I joke about it. For one thing, I'm older than everybody thinks. I just turned forty nine. Really? Yeah, I turned 49 last Dude, you month. Fucking black so don't I'm, crack, I'm, motherfucker. I'm, I'm 10 months away from AARP. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> All right, I'm 10 months from my AARP card. I've been sober 23 years, man. I did the the alcohol, cocaine, crack I did all of that shit hookers, in the you 80s. Yeah, in the 80s was when I did that shit, right? So when I gave it up in 88, when I got sober, and I've been sober since, I'm not like a reformer, like I'm running around saying, hey, Bobby, don't do this. or right. So like, I don't give a shit what people do. Go have fun. Do what you want to do. I'm like, I did it. I had fun. Like, like you want to get loaded? Really? I used to smoke crack. You want to go smoke some crack? No, I didn't think so. You smoked so. Like, crack? Yeah, I smoked crack for, for the last two years of my using. 
You know, I literally I live twenty bucks at a time chasing the hit. Really? Yeah. So so the fuck didn't we talk about this we did an hour podcast on the behind the scenes of last comic standing which you've yeah. done yeah i didn't know you we'll smoked do this again crack. we'll do this again you and, smoked and fucking crack yeah that's where i bottomed and 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 that's how i got sober so you know so so the the whole thing of getting loaded partying whatever you want to call it right i've been there done that when it comes to the women obviously i love women i've hooked up with girls uh, you know i i went through the sex thing I wouldn't say I went through it to the level of crazy, but you know, but I've had my share of pussy. Let's put it that way. Right. And like we were talking about, I'm at the point now I could appreciate a real woman in a good relationship, which is obviously hard to find in doing this business, right? Because I travel all the time. But the idea of after show pussy, like I'm so old and tired <laughs> now that if I don't, if we don't have a deal going in that I know you're going to leave, it's right. like really I can't. I can't be bothered. I, if I got to pretend that this you, is You have to listen go, to our hopes and dreams. Right. It, it's just, you know, something yeah. really yeah. thanks. But I, and, and, and there's literally been times where a conversation, and this sounds fucking sad as shit, but it's really true. Like hanging out and talking to somebody can be better than fucking them when you're on a road run. You know what I mean? If it's somebody you can actually have right. a conversation with, you know right. what I'm saying? So, so yeah, so it's it's not. That does sound lonely as oh, shit. Oh, it's it's fucking sad. When was the last you time know? you got pussy, dude? Last time I got pussy was about a week and a half ago. Now is this yeah. just a booty call or you know some yeah, friend? It's, it's a yeah friend with benefits situation. Yeah. So there's a you just got you know you get a friend that you call up and she's yeah. cool with it. And yeah, she's cool with it, and you know. Just banging we'll hang out. out, yeah. Now, do you That's, watch porn? Do you fucking? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I I like porn. What you kind? What yeah. kind of porn do you I'm, like? I'm uh, big tits and milfs. Big tits and milfs. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that together anyways? Yeah, yeah. It's usually, yeah. they never have milfs with little bay cups. No. Nah. Those that's that, young that's girl. my that's my wheelhouse though. I'm I love the milf. Yeah, thirty five to forty five. White or hot. black or Spanish? What do you like? Um, mix them up, mix them up. Probably blacks and brunettes. Really? Premium. Yeah. So if you could have a chick, a girlfriend right now, you could be what would it would it be a what what would your perfect chick be? My perfect chick would be 38 to 40 years old, still hot, still hard body. Uh I don't really care what she does for a living outside of being a gold digger. <laughs> you don't want a gold digger. I don't need a gold digger. Yeah. Nah. I don't make enough money to have a gold digger. Yeah, like, like if, if I had enough, you, to have a gold digger, yeah. you got to be rich enough that her gold digging doesn't affect your lifestyle. Yeah. Like, I'm at the point, if I had a gold digger, yeah. I'd have to cut back on my shit, yeah. which I'm not really up for. You I know what a, I mean? I like, could afford a nickel chaser. Yeah, there you go. There you go. A bronze, <laughs> yeah. you know. Somebody, who's, somebody who likes silver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's why I, I got a if wife. If she really likes silver, we could probably hang out. Yeah, my wife, I still make that broad go to work i feel bad yeah. i still make her go to that fucking salon and you, you know what's really hot and I, and i let this one go but this is what's really fucking awesome is when she's smarter than you yeah like i went out with this chick this chick went to harvard when she was 16 right. she's like a genius you know yeah and she was a lawyer and it was like that's fucking awesome when you when when you're with somebody who's smarter than you. Oh fucking! I could date Snooky and that would be the case. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. But, My wife's not a genius, but she knows where a colon goes yeah. and she knows but, how to spell shit. So she's smarter than me. We always joke about it and bullshit about it, but but the truth is, like every guy you want, you want the girl that's out of your league, right? You want the one 
No, Who's I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> no, you're absolutely wrong. That you know, look at man. In my, be- you know, I always love a chick with a hot body and a goofy face. I want a chick with a fang tooth, a German Shepherd mole, one eye that's bigger than the other, because. I know if I look at your body and I know it's hot, I love that. When that chick is, I'll look at the party and see all the hot chicks and see the guys going for it. And then you'll see that one little straggler fucking doing a crossword puzzle. I'll go up to her and talk to her. And then you get her in the room and you're like, her body is fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, I banged a chick. She looked like David Letterman. But her <laughs> fucking body was like Giselle. Yeah. You know, so no, I absolutely don't. I mean, I, I, I fucking hate hot chicks. I don't like hot, hot chicks. I like well, unconventionally good looking girls. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know. And it's living in L.A. And living in LA, you get so fucked up with what a hot chick is because, like a few years ago, when we had that whole thing where women were complaining about the the artificial standard of beauty, right? The covers of magazines and shit like that. Right. Those chicks live in LA. Like that's you know, you go to my gym. The artificial standard of beauty is on the treadmill, right? <laughs> you yeah. Know? And there's another one over on the bench press machine, and there's like that's that's what we have. So LA fucks you up, and then you just. Like like here in Ottawa, like these chicks are hot, but they're they're real people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they're not. They're squares. Yeah, and and in L.A. you 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 know they they do exist. The real ones do exist. But but me, so many of them are just like I'm this hot, but they, but they're so fucked up because that's what they're selling. Let me they're ask, like I have to be hotter than the girl next to me, and she's two years younger than me, and and it, they're totally fucked up with it. But here, here's the thing, okay, like. Uh, it's I mean I guess it is because you're older and you're mature you know I, I've I've been sober too for a long time from drugs and alcohol I haven't mm-hmm. been clean off of food and sex you know I still have a problem with that and I envy people that don't have that problems I envy people that can just no, I obviously down. got issues man I'm 49 I've never been married yeah, so. you had this, some, dude. We're gonna. There's something up. With, you know what I mean? There's something. Yeah, there's, there's a, you got because you're a you're a smart guy, highly intelligent. I don't, people don't know this. You're really highly intelligent. With you've had crazy jobs. You, yeah. you worked for uh, for Lockheed and aerospace companies, dude. You're you're, you're you're fucking motorcycles. You're into motorcycles. Um, you you. you you like this? You're almost like this. Fuck it. You're almost European. <laughs> you're very European. You're European black. That's what I would yes, say I about am. you. I am. You're not I'm American black. I'm Belgian. You, yeah, you're Belgian black. <laughs> but, and we're um, not actually black. We're brown. <laughs> Hence the brownie. Yes, Belgian chocolate <laughs> leads to brownies. <laughs> but here's the thing: is um, you know, like I've since I've been here, I've jerked off twice. Okay, for. Uh, uh, you got me beat by one. Okay, so I got you beat by one. But what I jerked off to, I've got you beat by 20. There's no way you jerked off to whatever I jerked off to. But, um, like, I like you never talk about You're not a dirty guy. You're not a crass guy. You're you're very... We, we've been walking and talking for days, hanging out for days, and the conversation is very analytical and psychological and fu- funny, and, you know, you're funny and stuff like that, but it, it's in, it's never gone to that where I... You know, it's, a lot of times it usually goes, you know, fucking pussy or fucking... Yeah. We really... So I was, I was just wondering that. I'm sitting but there. But see, but it's the same way with you, right? Because... Even though we've known each other for a long time, this is the first time we've really just hung out, right. just you and me, right? So you you being married, and there I go cock blocking again. 
Oh, you clock blocked me the other night. But you didn't talk pussy, so I figured, okay, he's a married guy who's not looking at every chick that walks by. Because I'm checking out, you know, there's there's bodies up here. I don't give a fuck. And this and that. Right. So, so, But since we didn't talk about it, I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, some married guys have, like, shut down to outside pussy, right? Like, they they don't talk about it. They don't notice it. They don't whatever. So I think... We're both seeing pussy. We're just not talking about it. I think there's, look, it, there's nothing worse than a married guy who, want, to me, who walks around and go, oh, look at that fucking bitch. I fuck her. Right. Hey, what's, uh, fucking, you know, even if you're going to do that, if you're going to fuck around on your wife, that's fine. Go do your thing. But be subtle, man. Yeah. Have some, because I don't want to ever meet respect. your wife right. and have to look right. at her and go, I just, you know, ugh. Yeah. You know let, let me live the lie, too. Don't make me, right. fu- you know. Don't make, I don't want to be part of your shit. I don't, so yeah. I look, dude. I look at chicks. I check chicks out. But that's one of the best parts about being married and trying to deal with your sex addiction is that you can finally walk down the street and not want to fuck. Who fuck that? Who cares? It can just go and not look at every fucking piece of ass that that might be a chick that you could fuck and have some type of fantasy relationship with. And the thing about being a veteran is you look at that pussy and you're like, man, what's that going to cost me? Yeah. On the backside. Yep. <laughs> you know, on the back is this going to be endless phone calls? Is this going to be this that or the Ugh. other? What what you see? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's like, man, oh, this pussy, this you got to pay for this shit. Well, know? that that's what I mean, I found out what a relationship is. It's it's uh, it's compatibility. If you're going to be if you, you be with somebody, it's not about the more so the love or how much you love each other. That's going to go up and down just like ha- your career. Yeah. But compatibility and you're not compatible with everybody. You can't spend more than 3 hours with most people without it's hard going, to find, get the man. fuck it's out. It's hard of here. to find, especially when I'm not the naturally social Right. Life of the part, like I'm so used to being alone, and I'm so comfortable with it. Right, it's like the idea of okay, if if we're going to be together, if we're going to be in each other's space, you got to understand that sometimes that's going to be very quiet. Right, you know, or or I'm just not going to want to be there. And like if I don't want to be there, like you talk about the bikes, man, my biggest escape is when I'm alone in my helmet on right. a motorcycle. And you, you know? got fucking fast bikes. You're yeah. not talking... Yeah, I get Ducatis and, and you get into the canyons, you're 20 minutes out of LA and you're in a completely different world and I'm good with that. Like like I had this one girl and she she got it that whenever I got home from the road, I had to go for a ride. Like that was my decompress. Like, look, I got to get on a bike. I got to just fucking right. go for a ride and then come back and then I'm good. And And she got that. But she had a hard time with and this because this was like right after last comic and you know and and i can't blame her i mean i was gone six days a week and the seventh day i was fucking exhausted well i tell you this is that we we live a a close life to like professional wrestlers you know (laughs) where they're on every week they're somewhere else and it's a sacrifice that whoever is in your life has to fucking be cool with that me and my wife and the more you, the the more you get into your career and the more you know the more you know time you put in and you you know you make your money you can actually say look i'm not where i'm i'm taking a month off or we're going out we're going to spend time together i'm learning more and more about that now and i'm doing it more I had to do that. I had to, in the last year, and it started, this is where it started. I went away with my friends, my comic friends, me, Patrice, Norton, and, you know, these guys went to Brazil, which was not good, but this was years ago. But we went away on vacation together for two weeks. And I was like, comics don't do this. We should do this. 
we should go and hang out and not do comedy and live life and be happy. And that's when I know when I got my shit together with my wife, it was like, I'm going to go and hang out with my wife or go on vacation and do things with my chick and take time off. I don't work Sundays. I don't usually don't work Mondays. Those are my times that's, to be it's human. It's so funny you mention that because I've gotten to that too where – I'm conditioned to those being nights off. Like once in a while, I'll do a Sunday or a Monday show. Like there was a really hot Monday night show in L.A. that Jamie Foxx was producing with the Foxhole and all of that. Right. And people like, man, you need to come down. And I'm like, man, I can't even get my mind around working on Monday night. Right. Like Monday night, I'm not even, you know. Yeah. And and the other thing is you talked about being happy. I think that's a tough thing. Like to decide you're going to be happy at whatever level you are yes. is a tough one because it's always like, well, what about this? Or I want that. And you, and it, you got to find that line. Like, how do you al- like allow myself to enjoy where I'm at? Cause I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's not like, it's not like I'm struggling. I mean, yeah. I'm secure financially. I got some toys, the yeah. bikes and shit like that. And, and I have a life to be enjoyed. Fuck yeah. But you, you have to, and, and it sounds your you know, your listeners are like, listen, you fucking assholes. You're whining. You you do jokes for a half hour a day or something. But but it really is a it's a mental thing to decide to enjoy where you're at. Yeah. You well, know? it's a, but you know, it, it it's I've learned to do that in the last couple of years, and and it's all about the work too. I mean, you know, you got work to do. This is our job. We have to do it. We have to write. We have to try to become better. But also, we are we're in Ottawa. We're in a fucking fancy hotel. We're getting paid to tell jokes. We work for an hour a night or forty minutes. A night, and we get to hang out and go get food and shoot the shit. It is an amazing job. Oh, and and I love it. You know, even like even at its worst, it's still great. You right. Know? And 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 so I'm never not grateful for that. I and and especially since I worked in the real world, like Ugh. it's funny when you talk to people who work at, especially on TVs and movie sets. Mm. I remember. When I used to work on Power Rangers, I was a truck driver for the show, right? And I ended up doing voices, but it was fun. But, you know, when you're on set, they feed you breakfast, they feed you lunch, there's always food, this and that. And I'd hear people complain, and one time I said, you know, in the real world... You have to buy your meals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like these these people have no comprehension of that. Like you know, ninety nine percent of the people who go to work yeah. have to eat breakfast at home and then buy lunch somewhere. They don't yeah. have a caterer saying, "What do you want?" Yeah, take like do you know, do you know what a huge fucking benefit just that is? It's Forget amazing. about everything else. Just the fact that fucking you know, I'm hungry. Where's the food? So check this out. We got we got your uh, website is alonzolive.com. Yes. Um, you can check your uh, website for that for all your tour dates. Uh, I think I believe you're heading to uh, Denver. You're Denver gonna be in this Montreal. week. Indy next week and then Montreal. Yep. And your Twitter is uh, is Alonzo Bowden. At Alonzo right. Bowden. You want to check it out. Um, again, mine at Robert Kelly. Uh, make sure you you know do all the crazy shit. Uh, for this podcast spread the word about it uh, Alonzo we do a little quick thing at the end uh, about tech uh, I don't know you're into tech you like gadgets I like gadgets um, and I do a little quick thing one thing I'm going to talk about and then you can actually say something that you like uh, I talked about it uh, on the other one uh, The it's, it's a new bag I got from uh, BBP Bags uh, unbelievable fucking travel bag it's a hybrid uh, backpack over the shoulder uh, handheld fucking bag a million pockets this is the first weekend I've used it uh, in Ottawa going through security was a fucking breeze I packed it with all my podcast shit my MacBook 15 uh, inch my iPad my iPad case all my gadget wires everything 
and you know it was heavy as shit. I put it on the backpack, but it hangs it on your ass, not on your back. It hangs it on your butt. It hangs down a little lower, so I didn't even feel it. And, and the going through security was the shit because the the computer uh, slot is in the back. So you put your iPad and my computer right in the back, one zipper, waterproof bag. You can be out in the rain with it. You don't have to worry about your shit getting fucked up. Right through security. It was fucking amazing. So uh, bbpbags.com. Uh, uh, Check those people out. They're fucking great. And, uh, well, I'm an Apple junkie like you. And right? we've been talking about it. My thing is the next generation iPhone. And because I'm still with a 3GS and the camera sucks. Right. But I hate carrying a separate digital camera. You know what I mean? Like, you want a phone that can do everything. So yeah. I still have shitty iPhone pictures. Right. As I Because I don't want to buy the 4 when the 5 is coming out in, what, right. three months or some shit like that. So I'm in... I'm well, you in said, you said, what are the, some of the stats that are coming out on the, on the uh, iPhone? It's supposed to be an 8 megapixel camera. That's the one... That's the thing I saw that I'm like, I can't wait. I'm all over it. Right. You know, so so I'm in that tech limbo right. where you you know there's better shit, but it's like, I got to wait. I got to wait. I got to wait. So yep. uh, Which is Apple is fucking great at. Yeah, Apple. Well, you know, it's funny. Apple and Ducati, and they're both based in Cupertino, California. They're like literally down the street from each other. Right. And they both work you the same way. It's like, yeah, this bike's nice, but look at this shit we're coming out with next year. Yeah. Next year, we're adding traction control, or next year, we're adding 10 more horse and with a motorcycle it's the same thing even though i can't ride last year's bike at the maximum i want next year's bike right. <laughs> you know what i mean wow. and i did i just bought a new ducati this year it's called the dfl so that's my my latest tech toy is my new duck which is fucking an amazing bike i had a, i had a vespa i don't know if you know i was a fellow Listen, rider I, we, scooters are cool I fucking love scooters. I rent scooters when I go to the islands, and, and I just buzz bomb around. And, and the thing is, I weigh 100 pounds more than the scooter. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that. Uh, all right, dude. Well, dude, really, Alonzo, you've been a friend uh, for a long time. Uh, I'm glad I got you on this, you know, uh, watching, you know, your career and all that shit happening and you know, uh, find and the next out. one we'll do drugs and degenerates. Next, we'll, we'll talk next about time the, we're going to uh, talk about we'll your talk fucking about the, drug days. The drug, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the drug days and yeah. and and since then and all the shit that goes on there because it because it's a great perspective because I didn't start doing comedy till after I was sober. Yeah. So me so, neither. Yeah, because yeah. you know if if I knew then what I knew now, like if I had walked out of last comic standing directly in a rehab career, would have took off. <laughs> <laughs> all right brother <laughs> go to uh, alonzolive.com for all his tour dates all his twitter information and uh, make sure you spread the word about the podcast uh thanks again for listening we'll see you later thanks again for listening to another episode of you know what dude podcast on gloryholeradio.com and make sure to check out all the other shows on the glory home network if you're using the stitcher app type in the word fart when you register iTunes users, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you're a real fan of the show and you want to show your support, go to gloryholeradio.com slash Robert Kelly and hit the donate button. $10 will get you a shout out on the air. $20 will get you my first CD, Robert Kelly Live, not available in stores. If you have any questions, email me at robertkelly at gloryholeradio.com.